You guys did an awesome job. And tonight, I want to just sort of share with you and wrestle with you about this reality that we're talking about as we go through the book of Genesis. Today, we're at Genesis 3. And we're talking about the reality that things are changing. Ben talked a couple weeks ago about the, that God made the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, and it was good, and it was awesome, and it was working right, and there was harmony between everything. And last week, Shanti talked with us, and she talked about the wonder of being male, and the wonder of being female, and all the complications that come with that. But now we get to Genesis 3. And we're learning that things are going to change rather quickly from the harmony that begins at the beginning of the chapter to everything's totally different at the end. And in order to start out, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about your families. I want you to get ready to turn to somebody near you, and I want you to answer this question. Who do you look like in your family tree? Like the people behind who your parents or your grandparents or anybody else... Who do you look like? What, are you tall like somebody in your family? Or do you all have red hair in your family because your mom's got this dominant gene and it's just taken over? Or whatever. You got, or you got a unique nose in your family? Or big feet? Or whatever. You know, I get this comp. I don't know if you think my kids look like me. But I'm pretty proud of these guys. But they're, um, they look a lot like me. And they didn't have any choice in the matter. That was their genetic gift from me, was to look (laughs) like that. And so I want you to turn for a second and just real quick, one or two minutes, just say, who do you look like in your family? Alright, so, so who looks like their mom? Raise their hand. Alright, who looks like their dad? Raise their hand. Alright, so you have to figure that out, what gift that you have from your parents. But tonight I want to look at this Genesis 3 story in a slightly different way because I want to talk about our great, 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 super great, great, thousands of greats back grandparents, Adam and Eve. And I want to talk a little bit about how some of the things that they did passed on some qualities that you and I inherit, whether we like it or not. And it all is started out in this story. You see, our behavior is a lot like our spiritual mother and father, Adam and Eve. We're all part of their family tree. And we bear some of those qualities. And when Adam and Eve disobeyed God when they were tempted... And they disobeyed God who had always graciously provided for them. 
they set in motion some things that sort of like a domino effect affect all of us, or sort of like a virus in a computer system that it goes from one thing to the next. That's what happened when Adam and Eve upset this harmony that existed in creation between God and creation and people and all those different things. It changed. And tonight I want you to see that the sequence of sin begins with this reality of doubting God's Word. Did God really say? And then they doubt who He is. And it leads to denying and disobeying God. See, a rebellion starts and the serpent serpent's strategy was deception. He insinuated that God was too strict, too narrow, too dishonest, and he caused Eve to magnify the prohibitions. Don't God's not letting you go to that tree? And caused her to minimize all the other things that were given to her freely to enjoy in the garden. And he suggested that there would be no consequences to what would happen. And that they'd be able to be masters of their own existence. And as soon as Eve believed the serpent, that God was not good and couldn't really be trusted, she fell into sin and the harmony was broken. We saw that all sin is choosing what we think is right apart from God. Saying we know better than God. She ate the fruit and she gave it to Adam and he ate. And they made a huge mess for themselves and it carried on to all of us throughout all of humanity. It's called original sin. And tonight I want to reflect with you about a reality because this isn't the end of the story for us. This isn't like, okay, bad news, go home. I want you to see it from, a, from the New Testament looking back at Genesis 3. So I want to read one scripture from Romans 5. If you have it, Phil, put it up. And I want to... So this is what I want to talk about tonight. It says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. We're all affected by what happened in Adam and it carries on throughout all of humanity. But even greater, hear that, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. That's awesome news. But before we get to the awesome news, I want to reflect a minute on how these effects live in our reality, in our world, in our lives, and how we need to move from what we have to something new. So first I want to talk about moving from shame to something else. You see, the first consequence is that of guilt. Sin always carries with it shame and guilt. Go back to the sequence again. What happened? Eve saw and she took and she ate and she gave some to Adam and then the results happened. Their eyes were opened and they knew good from evil and they covered themselves and they hid. And Adam and Eve sought to find good apart from God. And when they disobeyed, did they get the satisfaction and the happiness that the serpent had promised? Perhaps the fruit tasted good for a little while. But it unleashed a whole load of shame and guilt on their life. Satan had promised to them that they would be like God. That they would know good and evil. Were they made into gods? Not at all. Did they die? Well, they initially didn't die. But there was eternal death that was introduced into the creational harmony. Things were changed. 
So Adam and Eve quickly realized this truth, that sin never delivers what it promises. In sin, you get what you want, but be careful because you might get a lot of things that you don't want. And they certainly did not expect to experience all that they experienced in this passage. It says, and then they knew that they were naked. Their innocence was gone. A whole new way of thinking entered their minds. They felt completely exposed. Ever since the fall, we try very hard to look honorable and sinless. The gap between who we are and who we present ourselves to be can be as wide as ever as we try and cover up our flaws in our our humanity. Our hearts don't know what to do with the guilt. But we see that guilt and shame come as a result of the fall in Adam and Eve. But we have a joy to know that we have a God who not only bears the penalty of our sin and our disobedience and our rebellion, but He forgives that debt and declares us not guilty. He took our shame and He calls us to have confidence in Him. Christ became a shameful laughing stock for all the world as he paid for all of our sins past present and future and they were exposed and eliminate and their power was removed as they were judged so tonight i just want to briefly say are you struggling with guilt and shame feeling like you're no longer worthy you're no longer lovable you're no longer valuable what i would invite you tonight is to confess your shame and instead have a confidence in christ and to let that shame be translated into i can't on my own but i can have confidence in christ It says this in 2 Peter. It says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him, meaning Jesus, will never be put to shame. God can transform this effect of the fall and make it something completely different and set us free. Now, sin also produces hiding. Sin always produces a fear that causes us to hide from the one who loves us most. We hide from God through the denials and the denials and the rationalization. We also hide to avoid our pain or our embarrassment. We may hide behind our laughter. We may hide behind our behavior or our image. And look at our first parents, Adam and Eve. They are so broken that despite all that's happened, the guilt, the wicked feelings that they were experiencing, Despite knowing that they will die, they would rather hide in fear than than repent. Here is the first game of hide-and-seek ever played in the world. Have you ever played that game at home with your parents? Somebody's it, and they have to go seeking. And Adam and Eve were hiding, and God was it. But God is the best seeker there ever is ready or not here he comes all right 
And God is walking through the garden in Genesis 3.8. And it indicates like God, this kind of intimacy and fellowship that they enjoyed with God before. It's not like God wasn't already there. He's omnipresent. But the author is highlighting the fellowship that man enjoyed with his Creator, which is now lost. Just as they tried to hide themselves from each other, now they're hiding from God. So try to picture these two hiding in their leaf outfit, whatever it is, trying to camouflage themselves. But we learn in Psalm 39 that we can't hide from God. God knows where we are, whether we're making the heights or the depths and anywhere, God's there. But God calls out the first words in the Bible. And the first words are, what? Where are you? Did God not know where they were? Of course not. God is omniscient. This question was not asked so that God could know, but for Adam and Eve to realize and come out of hiding. It's a question that was helping Adam and Eve to realize where they were now in their relationship with God. See, excuse me, this is not the cry of a policeman like, where are you? Come out! You're guilty! This is the cry of a father searching for his kid. Where are you? Where are you? Seeking and searching for Adam and Eve. God's first word to a fallen man has all the marks of grace. That's a question since he tries to draw them out rather than drive them out of hiding. God could have asked, why are you hiding? Why are you hiding? Or he could have asked, how could you do that? But that's not what God, God asked the question. He says, where are you? Notice that God allows Adam and Eve to hide. Before they ran to the trees, he could have stopped then and been like, no you don't. Where do you think you're going? God allows them to hide. It's like playing hide and seek with my kids. Bradley, who's seven, when we play hide-and-go-seek, he always hides in one of three or four places in my house, so I know where he is. God will let you hide, but he'll always come for you. And when you're ready, and with a willing heart, he'll allow you to come out. And he'll see you in all of your brokenness. And I think God will heal you. I know God will heal you. God will always initiate a closeness with us even when we are withholding ourselves from Him. Do you hear that? God will always initiate a closeness to us even when we're hiding from Him. Notice what Adam says, right? He says, so Adam, realizing that God finds him, he rose from his hiding place, shame-faced, wearing these big fig leaves. And what does he confess? He says, well... Nothing about offending God or doing anything else. But he says, I was naked. Like God didn't know that. Really, Adam, didn't you just cover yourself? How naked are you now? God, I was embarrassed that you would see me with limited clothing and I hid. And I'm afraid. Um, And Adam just doesn't own up to his true condition. And we're like that, aren't we? We do not want to own up. Fear has, the fear has replaced the joy. 
intimacy with God that was just, they'd never known anything different, was replaced with isolation. Freedom was replaced by slavery, and they were totally duped by the serpent. This is not how it was meant to be. You and I were not meant to hide. We were created to be fully exposed, fully known, fully loved by our Creator. But now with this sin in the picture, we want to hide so badly. I don't want to be exposed in my fallenness and believe that if people really know the truth about me, if they feel like that, if I truly allow God to shine the light on my heart with all of my fears and my brokenness and my guilt and my shame, I will not be loved. Author Robert Fulgham, he's a guy who wrote a lot of books like All I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, tells a story when he was in his office writing and his kids were playing hide-and-seek and this kid hid really, really well in a leaf pot. And all the kids were looking around and he couldn't be found. And he says the kids forgot about the kid hiding in the leaf pot. And he was just there, hidden. And Fulgham said he was tempted around there and said, Kid, get found! You're hiding too well. And maybe... For you and I, we need to hear that call and say, get found. Maybe we're hiding too well. See, this is our depravity. We are good at hiding. We desperately need to be sought. Yet we are confused about being found. And there's no better hiders than those who come to church sometimes. God is drawing. The Lord comes to our worship service tonight. And says, get found. Come out of hiding. And he's still the best seeker out there. So my question to you is, do any of you need to come out of your trees today? Jesus told Zacchaeus, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, who was also good at hiding in a tree, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. God is drawing you out. God is inviting you to come out. He will not force you out of hiding but he invites you to open up again to him so that you can experience all of his love. So God invites you to go from hiding to openness. Good hit. So number three. God invites us to go from blame to owning my part. You see, God is trying to draw Adam to repentance and asking Adam a lot of questions. God is urging a confession here rather than enforcing a condemnation. He's trying to get to the root of Adam's heart. He says, who told you you were naked? Did you see yourself in the pool or the river? Where's that shame coming? Did you all of a sudden decide that you were Adam had the opportunity to say, hey, I disobeyed you, God. Adam could have said, yes, God. I ate of the fruit, and since I ate, I felt the corruption of the evil and the shame and the nakedness and the fear that, I would, that would, you would judge me. And that's why I was hiding. Is that what Adam says? No. Unfortunately, in Genesis 3.12, he says, the woman that you gave me she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. 
One pastor wrote it like this. I was doing fine, minding my own business, but you gave me that wicked woman. You put this dangerous creature at my side. I'm not guilty, God. You're guilty. Or it's the woman's fault. A better God would not have given me this woman. And Adam thinks that God withheld some blessing from him, but, but look at the consequence of sin. And what does Eve say when God asks her? She sifts the blame to the serpent. Says, the serpent that you created. There's always somebody to blame. And Adam and Eve are the poster child for blame and shifting responsibility. Today, people blame people for everything. They sue people for everything. If you lose your job, you sue the company for mental distress. You drink and drive and kill somebody, you sue your friends for not warning you that you were drinking. You drink coffee and spill it on yourself, you sue the company for the water being too hot. I exaggerate, but that's how fallen we are. We blame everybody and everything, even God, when we don't want to be held accountable for our actions. Do you blame God today for your circumstances, your parents, your background? When there's sin in your life, do you play victim? Do you blame your hormones? Essentially blaming God for how He's made you? Have you minimized His provisions and maximized His prohibitions? God, you're so unfair for taking this or making this boundary. When God confronts you in your sin, you will never find forgiveness as long as you are blaming God or blaming somebody else. You can offer a thousand excuses, but only one is going to hold up. Forgive me, Lord. I was wrong. It is incredibly freeing when you go ahead and admit that it was your fault and not someone else's. So, what my invitation to you tonight is that we all inherited this one. We're good at it. We're really good at it. But in Christ, we can own up to our part and say, God, I know I'm responsible. I'm going to own my part. And now the last one. Everything's changed. The whole thing is broken. Like Brad talked a couple weeks ago when he broke that pot here. He says everything's changed. Our relationship with the Creator, relationship with ourselves, relationship with others, relationship with creation, all has been changed. And so what I want you to know is that God is the restorer. That He wants to take us from being broken to being restored. You see, in that passage, if you'd put it back up, Phil, if you would, right? What's happening? See, we're all part of that family, Adam's family. We're all part of that. And death has happened and has come into the world because of Adam. But God's doing another thing. You see, we're all part of Adam's family tree. But my question for you tonight is, are you part of Christ's family tree? Have you responded to this invitation? Have you placed your trust there? Have you so identified with him that what's happening is, is that you're being restored. Because through Jesus, the new Adam, we are being restored. See, the first Adam blew it. But Jesus comes as the new Adam. And what I want you to hear is that he conquers this original sin. 
And as I close, I want to praise our Restorer and Redeemer, the second Adam. You see, without a Redeemer, without Jesus, I'm Adam. I'm trying to find good apart from God. I live with guilt. I have shame. I live in fear. I fail as a husband. My work is burdensome. I blame others. I blame God. I doubt His heart or what He's about. I doubt God. I try to master my own existence. Without a Redeemer, I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. Jesus Christ, the second Adam, succeeds where the first Adam failed. The first Adam comes into the Garden of Eden and sins. The second Adam comes into the Garden of Gethsemane and bears sin. The first Adam is tempted by Satan in a plush paradise and he gives in. The second Adam is tempted by Satan in the wilderness and resists. The first Adam hides from God in seclusion. The second Adam reveals God in the open and exposed our sin. The first Adam bought thorns and thistles into the world. The second Adam wore a crown of thorns. The first Adam knew what it was like to sweat and work the land. The second Adam knew what it was like to sweat drops of blood. The first Adam experienced sorrow. The second Adam was a man of sorrow, familiar with suffering. The first Adam died. The second Adam tasted death for all. The first Adam brought sin and condemnation in the world. And the second Adam brought righteousness and salvation to the world. The first Adam brought decay into the world. The second Adam is bringing about the restoration of all things. You see, what was broken in Adam is now being restored in Jesus. And he's broken the curse. of our sin. And the way that it's been broken is by what happened on the cross and when Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we can have confidence in Christ. Be open before God and not scared. Why I can own my part and I can be restored and we can be reconnected as the family of God because of what God has done. And so we're going to sing some awesome songs in a minute. Some awesome songs. And I want you guys to stand up and realize that In Adam, we're sunk. It's bad news. But in Christ, it's incredibly good news. And so I want you to worship this second Adam. The truth is there's a Redeemer that has come for us. He has showed up, showed me His goodness on the cross. He paid my debt. He took my guilt and He replaced it with forgiveness. He replaced my shame with honor. He replaced my fear with joy and trust. He took my blame He died in my place so that I can live. He defeated the enemy. He redeems my marriage and my relationships. He clothes me in righteousness. He brings me back into the tree of life to be my tree of life. He tasted death and destroyed it. As long I long for Him to come and restore all things. Until life, uh, until then, come to Him. Let us ask Him to help us not to give in to the enemy. To live in relationships redeemed by the cross. To be honest and not to hide. To have confession. To have power instead of fear. To not give in to guilt and shame. To accept and to own up to our sin. And in confession, find freedom and life again.
As Glenn Stanton says, we serve a God who created our humanity, who weeps at the fall of our humanity, became our humanity, and is redeeming our humanity. This is the awesome God that we serve. I invite you to stand up. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing our guts out to this awesome, wonderful God. Lord Jesus, this truth is so profound that we were so affected by the fall, we were separated from you. And maybe we've overlooked that reality, but we know, Lord, that in Adam, things are really bleak and dark. And it means separation from you. But we claim tonight, Lord, that in you, in Christ, we can be made whole. We can be confident. We can be open. We can take responsibility and we can be restored. And we want to live into that freedom that you offer us in Christ Jesus. Lord, help these songs to speak to our hearts. And we pray it in Jesus' name and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.